92.3 and AM 16.20. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got a lot to talk about today on the show, including, uh, oh, we're going to get to the, the latest and uh, big, big, big episode of WandaVision later in the show. I think that's it's become our weekly discussion now, and I, I'm loving it, and I hope you guys are too. Uh, and if you aren't, well, we're still going to talk about it, so... <laughs> so just sit back and enjoy but we've got a lot of other things to talk about as well and i've got a couple of great guests on the line with me to talk about things uh first of all joining us from the movies are terrible podcast please welcome jeremy branch i've been liking this weekly ritual julio i really appreciate you having me on this has become kind of the latest water cooler discussion show and i'm, I'm really glad to be a part of it here on let's go pensacola also real quick shout out to our friend and fellow listener Taylor Lofton, I just wanted to say, hey, what's up, buddy? Glad that you are checking out and enjoying the show every week. So uh, if you check this out, let me know. So that, that uh, you told me that you'd gotten uh, uh, a message from a reader. or A reader, yes, because we're uh, in print. No, from a listener uh, <laughs> last week. Old habits die hard, Jeremy. What can I say? I was going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, you told me you'd been contacted by a listener, which is great. I, I, I would love to hear from listeners more often so you know. You can always reach me at gopensacola at gmail.com if you'd like to, to drop a line. Let me know what's going on. Also, I should, uh, should say, I, did I misspeak when I said the Movies Are Terrible podcast? It should be the Movies Are Terrible YouTube channel, right? You know what? I am cool with it no matter how you say it because we all make mistakes. I, I let it roll. I thought it sounded great, man. I mean, you do do a podcast as part of the channel. True. So, I it's mean, true. It's, it's not technically incorrect, but... Uh, but anyway, uh, also joining us on the line this morning, you know him, you love him. He's been a longtime entertainment uh, journalist and critic here in the Pensacola area. From You probably know him best from the former front row column that ran in the Pensacola News Journal for years and years and years. Please welcome back to the show, Andy Metzger. It's always a pleasure to be here. I'm just along for the ride with you two incredible gentlemen today, so... Let's do it. Well, wow, that's 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 very kind of you to say, but we're we're going to expect you to participate too, not just not just uh, look out the window and uh, you know play, play I Spy or whatever. I will. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, well, so I wanted to uh, wanted to start off. This is a question that uh, you know I've asked of you two gentlemen before, and I've asked from a lot of guests before, but it's coming around in relevance again, and it, that is. What's going on with our movie theaters? We have the news this week that uh, the AMC on W Street has gone down to three-day-a-week operation as of, uh, as of apparently this week. Uh, I, I may be wrong. It may have been before that, but this is at least the first time I saw that they have. Uh, so they are now only open on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now our other AMC on, uh, on Bayou, that, which is the newer theater with the IMAX and the bar and some of the upgrades... Is still open all week long. Our two theaters over in Santa Rosa County, the Breeze and the Ridge, are still open all week long. But this is a this is a big piece of property and a lot of screens. It's the most screens of any theater in town, and it's uh, it's dark four days a week now. So you know that tells me that people still aren't rushing back to the theaters. And uh, 
what are your feelings on this? I mean, it, it does look like we're getting uh, the vaccines are starting to get out there. There's good news there. I, I think we're only a few more months from getting back to a version of normalcy anyway. And then, you know, we, we, we're seeing our hospitalizations drop in Pensacola. All of that is positive news, but uh, a lot of people still aren't going back. And Jeremy, I'll start with you. Have you gone back to a theater yet? Or are you ready to go back to a theater yet? Julio, the last movie that I saw in the movie theaters was Tenet, and it was at the AMC on Bayou, the one that you just now alluded to. It's uh, what many would consider the nicest uh, location in town. I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say, but I say that because it's got the IMAX screen. It's got the bar, a lot of the amenities that you won't find at the at the other locations. Um, and I had a great time. I, I thought it was a very safe experience. To, to the best of my understanding of what safe is, I felt there were plenty of space between me and the people around me. Um, I definitely take COVID restrictions very seriously and, and try to mind my P's and Q's as far as all of that stuff is concerned. But to be honest, I did feel that it was a fairly safe experience. Now, I didn't go on Thursday, opening night at 7 p.m., so maybe that was a different experience. But I do know that they have many things in place to you know, make the guests feel safe and comfortable. So I appreciated that. I thought they did a very good job. Um, hot take, the W Street Rave, or excuse me, on the old, old well, soul. that's, that's the, two chains back, Jeremy. That's <laughs> a throwback. Yes, it is. <laughs> hey, come on. You're the guy talking about print newspapers. Well, Give me a break. yeah, there's um, that. <laughs> um, w Street is my favorite of the, of the uh, AMCs, and I'll tell you why. It's because they into because they have 18 screens they tend to bring in a lot of the art house and foreign films that we don't get at the uh bayou which i would say is kind of the primary of the amc theaters but i like to go and see movies like i think parasites one of the last ones i saw at the w street amc and i just those those extra screens allow them to take extra chances and, and potentially put movies on there that aren't going to make as much money because they're still able to screen the others as well so for a long time, I hated the AMC on W Street. Eventually, I began to really have an appreciation for it, and uh, it's it's kind of sad. I hate to hear that. I hope that they, they spring back because that's a theater that I've had great experiences at. Well, and it's interesting, and, and I think, yeah, Parasite may be the last movie I saw over there as well, and I, I have taken advantage of that, you know, little bit more breadth that they're able to get into occasionally. Although I do think the, the Bayou theater does a pretty good job too. It's just a, a matter of a plurality of screens more than anything else. But, right. uh, but uh, it's interesting because you say you saw, you, you saw tenants. So you have been back to theaters since, uh, since bef- after they've reopened, but you've only been once and you haven't been regularly. It's partly because of, and it's a tough thing to kind of put my thumb on and, and to nail down what the reason behind that is. I hate to say that I'm just getting comfortable with the routine of not going to the movie theaters, but perhaps that does play a factor. Um, Wonder Woman would have been the next one probably that I rushed out to see in the theaters. And due to that damn day HBO Max release, there hasn't been anything that just like pulled me back to the theaters in a way that a Christopher Nolan film would. So, so we'll just chalk it up to that. You see, and I haven't even gone that far. I, I still haven't seen Tenet. Uh, I, I didn't get around to, to going to the theater, and I haven't gone to the theater. There's been a couple of things I've wanted to see, but I just have, you know, have pushed myself away from it. And, I, you know, Wonder Woman would have been cool to see on the big screen. I also wanted to and still want to see Freaky 
uh, which is oh yeah, which uh, you know is still in theaters, but I think that might be on VOD now as well. I want to see Promising Young Woman, Young Woman, which uh, is in in both, but I just haven't uh, motivated myself. Now, Andy, I know you've gone a little more frequently, so 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 tell me about your uh, your experience. Well, I have been about a half dozen times since they reopened. Uh, most recently, Wednesday, I saw Supernova, which is an excellent film showcasing uh, Colin Firth and uh, Stanley Tucci. If, if you like the kind of film that's very actor-centered, that's definitely one to see. The only time I've been where there was anything remotely resembling a crowd was a special showing of Wonder Woman 1984, Back on December 15th, there in the IMAX, there were approximately 80 to 100 people. Very oh, wow. carefully. Any other time I've been, the other, say, five times I've been, there's been a sparse number of people, very widely spaced. People are good about wearing their masks. The protocols in the theater are in place, and they keep everything as safe as they possibly can. You know me, Julio. I'm one who loves the big screen experience. So I have been going out and dipping my toes in, but you do have to be very, very careful. And I'm very sorry to hear about W Street, because I'll echo what Jeremy was saying and what you said. It's the older of the AMCs, and they, they were the ones to get movies that you wouldn't see anywhere else on a big screen. And Parasite was the last thing I saw there. So I can echo that, and hopefully we can get back to normal, because I want to keep having the big screen experience. Well, I'm eager to get back too, and I'm I'm hoping by summer we'll we'll be there. We do have to take our first break. You're listening to News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are talking about uh, all the current happenings in pop culture with Andy Metzger and Jeremy Branch. And had to throw that out there just to pour a little bit out for uh, for Dustin Diamond from Saved by the Bell, who you may know best as Screech. Of course, he's been in lots of other things as well, but uh, I think that's what he's best known for. He uh, unfortunately passed away. Very young this week, uh, I think 44, if I remember correctly. Uh, very sudden uh, death after a, a very recent diagnosis of uh, some pretty serious lung cancer, which, uh, you know, it's sad to hear, you know, he's a guy, let's be honest, he's had a checkered past. You know, there's there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on with him that uh, has not been as as happy and wholesome as we might like to think about somebody who was on, you know, an iconic kids show. Uh, but, you know, you hate to see that happen to anyone, and it just kind of makes his life sadder, especially in the face of we, we have a new version of Saved by the Bell out there now. Peacock is, uh, has revived the show, and he's going to be the only one of the original kids to not appear on the new show now because all the rest of them have already appeared. Some of them are on it regularly. Some of them show up on a recurring basis. Uh, but he's the only one they hadn't gotten him in there, there yet. They'd mentioned the character, but uh, but hadn't gotten him onto the show yet. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's sad, and you know, it's not the only person that we've lost in the in the past couple of weeks. We've had a, a number of uh, 
pretty big celebrity deaths, but the other ones have all been, you know, in their 90s and were a little more expected. You know, we lost Hal Holbrook. We lost Cicely Tyson. Uh, you know, uh, uh, oh, and uh, we, we talked about it last week, of course, but uh, also, um, oh, gosh, uh, Cloris Leachman. I, for some reason, mm-hmm. was, the name wasn't coming to me there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just sad to see someone die so young and after such a hard life. And, uh, Andy, I'm guessing you may be a little old to have grown up on Saved by the Bell, but, uh, but Jeremy, I'm betting you were, uh, you were a Bayside High guy. Oh, you know, that, that theme song is just a bop. Like every time I hear that, I'm like, man, that's a pretty good theme song, but, uh, it's a classic. it really is. It's one of the best that I can think of. Uh, kind of got like a Huey Lewis and the News vibe to it, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Um, I've seen. I've actually seen rock bands cover it live, which, which oh, wow. is actually a lot of fun. I imagine so. Yeah, it is something that I definitely grew up on. And Screech is such a different character from Dustin Diamond. But I do think it's important to remember that they're performers and that they are actors. It's a shame that, you know... Um, it's a shame that so many child actors kind of have to go down that path of so much adversity and, and deal with the, the substance abuse. And just, it just seems like there's a lot of pain that can be associated with uh, people that work so hard as children. Um, and it's a shame that unlike Robert Downey Jr. or somebody like that, that he didn't get the kind of late game opportunity to turn it around. And he was a human being. Yeah. He screwed up. And to me in a way that makes him, a little bit more human and a little bit more relatable. So it is a tragedy. I hate that, uh, you know, his family lost him so suddenly from something like cancer. Typically that's a battle that, that people fight for a substantial amount of time. Um, and it, yeah, rest in peace to uh, Dustin Diamond for sure. Yeah. Now I made, I made a big assumption there, Andy. Maybe you were a secret Saved by the Bell fan and I don't know it. Uh, but did you have anything you wanted to add? Well, it's not a show I've ever watched. And uh, I boost the wrong demographic for the program. It's certainly one I've heard of and one I know is an iconic show. When I see uh, someone this actor's age, 44, who's passed away, all too often you do see a tragic backstory. And whenever I see a death like that, um, it, it touches me because, uh, because I realize that here's someone that was famous at a young age and their life hasn't, their life hasn't gone well in the aftermath of that early fame. And I think it's a, a story that's all too often repeated. So it's, it's a sad moment. Yeah, it, it, you know, you're right about that, Andy. And it's, it, it's terrible to think about. But you know, it's. I'm glad he's not suffering anymore. Let's put it that way. You know, it's a terrible disease that that he was dealing with, and you know, really was only diagnosed a, a few weeks before he passed. So, you know, you have to wonder, was he in pain all that time? Was, you know, was some of that, you know, acting out because of, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, well, of course, we'll never know. But, you know, like like I said, at, at least he's, he's at rest. Uh, now, Andy, I, I want to mention, though, even having not seen the show, there is a, uh, a web series that's based on the show that uh, this is over and above the, the revival of the show on Peacock. Uh, before that was done, somebody created a web series called Zach Morris's Trash that is absolutely worth checking out. What it, what it do, does is basically it recaps episodes of Saved by the Bell, and you see the, the clips and the whole nine yards of the voiceover going. Uh, but it 
basically analyzes the behavior of the lead character of Saved by the Bell. He's you know he's the protagonist, Zach Morris, who's uh, played by uh, Mark Paul Gosselaar, and um, basically re- exposes the fact that he is not a good human being. <laughs> You know, he's the the character is kind of, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a con artist and he's a little bit of a, you know, and it, at the time it was played for laughs. But if you think about it, really think about his behavior. He's a bad guy. <laughs> and the series just <laughs> just rips it to tack. And, you know, every every episode ends with the, the phrase Zach Morris is trash. So if you haven't seen that, it's it's worth checking out because it's uh it's just it's just hilarious. Uh, Jeremy, have you seen this series? I am on Funny or Die right now, scrolling through some of the lovely titles, like the time Zach Morris stole $5,000 from the Mafia to scalp you two tickets, the time Zach Morris dated Slater's kid sister. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be uh, going to be perusing this series after we oh, get done today. They're, they're, they are truly hilarious. They've done a great job with those, and they're worth checking out. And I think they'd be worth checking out, even if you aren't uh, terribly familiar with the uh, the show, which I, I I have to admit, I'm familiar with the show. But I do think uh, also it's one of those weird things. It's one of those shows where a lot of people remember watching it and, and you remember the characters and things like that. But can you tell me, other than those you know, brief descriptions of the, the, the Zach Morris's trash episodes... Do you remember anything that happened in any episode of Saved by the Bell other than the episode where Jesse Spano gets hooked on caffeine pills? <laughs> no, I didn't even remember that until you said it. Oh, yeah, yes, that's, that, no, that's, the, that's the iconic episode. The, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. <laughs> it's it's just I mean that's like the iconic moment of Saved by the Bell, and I I posit that that is the only episode of Saved by the Bell that anybody remembers. And the comparison I will make to that, uh, and Andy, this one may be one that you that's a little more up your alley. The show What's well, Happening, big 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 sitcom in the seventies. Uh, right. I I watched every episode of What's Happening. I guarantee you, I, I've seen every. I guarantee you, I've seen every episode of What's Happening. The only episode that I could tell you about anything that happened in it is that it's again, it's kind of a very special episode where they go to the Doobie Brothers concert and rerun gets caught bootlegging the concert. That is the only episode of what's happening that anybody <laughs> remembers what what happened, what happened in. <laughs> Am I right about that, Andy? I believe you are. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a little more up my alley than uh, what was going on in the 90s. So uh I'm going to have to revive my memory on that one and see if I can find it on, online somewhere because I, you are bringing back a memory. And I've got Zach Morris's Trash written down, so I'm definitely going to check that out too. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things that, you know, people hold this series beloved to them, but yeah. if you ask them to, like, go into, well, what happened in your, tell me your, your favorite episode. Well, the only one anybody's ever going to say is, is that one particular episode because that's the one that stands out in their in their memory for whatever reason, you know. And there there are lots of other shows that are beloved like that where you you get people that oh no I like this one I like that one or the other one, but there's just some shows for some reason there's like one episode and that's the episode that stands out. And like uh, different different strokes is another one. It, 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 
I, I think that one's a little more broad. I think there's people that remember other episodes, but the episode where Arnold and Dudley go to the bike shop and the bike shop owner is a child molester. That is, it's always like one of those, like, we're going to take on a heavy issue episode, too. It's so funny you say that. There was the episode of 90210 where Brian Austin Green shot himself on accident, and that's the only one where I remember the plot from. So, yeah, no, there's something about the traumatic it, episodes. It wasn't Brian Austin Green. It was his buddy. Remember when when they start, when the series started, there were, like, these two geek characters. It was Brian Austin Green that's and another right. character. And I don't even remember the character's name, but they were, like, regular cast members. And then they got to like the second season and they started making Brian Austin Green cooler and he started hanging out with the, the cool kids and they just killed off the geek character by having him kill himself. That's right. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> wow. I can't even tell you the character's name, but yes, I do remember that episode. I, I remember some other 9021 episodes too, but but that, but yeah, that's a big one. It's it's really funny how that is. I don't I don't know where that is. And I gotta be honest, this is not a uh, not a subject that I expected that we'd uh end up dedicating an entire segment to on the show but 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 i'm having fun with it uh so andy is there is there one for you that that sticks out an episode from uh from a series that like that's the only one you really remember but uh and it doesn't necessarily have to be related to some i always love that that horrible tragedy it's always when they did the commercials for them when they did the, the the teases for the episodes on a very special episode of you know, anytime a sitcom was going to do something serious and, and tackle a subject, it was on a very special episode of. That's that's almost something they they they, they that's almost something they need to tackle on Wandavision. I don't know if they'll have time to get to that, and we'll get to Wandavision later in the show. But given that it is such a a dissection of the sitcom format, I, I wonder if we don't need a very special episode of Wandavision at some point. Uh, but but again, we'll come back to that. And I wanted to give you a chance, Andy, if there was one that you wanted to throw in there. I will throw one out that will always stick with me. I'll take it all the way back to Happy Days. Can either one of you guess which moment and which episode I'm going to mention? Oh, I think I know. Yes. But but yes. but I'll let you go go for it. Uh, when Fonzie jumps the shark. Well, yes. yeah, that, that's that's the <laughs> that's, iconic. That's, that's the one everyone remembers from Happy Days. Hundred percent. That's the one people talk about, that moment in that episode. Well, and, you know, of course, that became, you know, part of the pop culture lexicon because that was the – and people get it wrong. That What it is is that is the moment that the show is at the best it will possibly ever be and will never – it will all be downhill from there. It's not that that is a bad episode. So that's that's where that idiom comes from. But, yeah, you're right. That's uh, that's definitely the, the episode that people will most remember from Happy Days. I hope people will most remember this episode, but we do have to take a break. I will be back in just a moment. You're listening to News Radio 923 and AM 
92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are talking about all things pop culture with Jeremy Branch and Andy Metzger. And wanted to come back with that song, which is, of course, the song that gave the the name to the film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, which is, in my mind, one of the best films that's come out in the past year and one that we're hearing a lot about now as we are getting into the depths of award season. Uh, we had uh, a couple of big, uh, big organizations reveal their nominations this past week that uh, they're starting to color the Oscar race, uh, both the Screen Actors Guild and the Golden Globes. I'm always hesitant to give the Golden Globes much credibility because the organization behind the Golden Globes is actually very small and doesn't have a lot of credibility. But they put on this big, shiny show that everybody loves. And I, I love it, too. It's 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 usually a lot of fun because... Uh, well, you know, drunk celebrities are usually pretty fun. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, so we're in this in this stretch where it feels like the awards race is starting to come into focus when we're talking about what's going to end up being the Oscar nominations. Now, both of these uh, both of these organizations do TV awards as well, but I, I don't want to get so much into the TV of it all right now uh, and more talking about the movies and uh we're we're still in that situation where even though we're in an era where people aren't able to go to the theater because of COVID, uh, we still have a lot of films that are turning up in these nominations that nobody in Pensacola has seen yet because they're mm-hmm. they haven't come to our, our theaters and they're not available streaming yet. So things like Nomadland, which is uh, one of the biggest buzzed films of of the award season. And racking up lots of nominations, lots of talk that uh, that Frances McDormand may win her third acting Oscar for this uh, this film, which would put her in a very uh, very elite class of actor. Uh, and then directed by Chloe Zhao, a lot of buzz about her for this. And of course, she's got a couple of uh, other films already announced. One of which is is Marvel's uh, one of Marvel's upcoming films, The Eternals, which she's already basically done with and we're just waiting for a release date on it and then she uh was just announced this week as directing a sci-fi western adaptation of dracula which uh wow. which is incredibly intriguing and something that she's uh, apparently very interested in apparently she's quite quite nerdy so uh she's one of us in that regard uh-huh. but uh but it's a film that we haven't been able to see yet we haven't been able to see america versus billy holiday yet uh we haven't been able to see um uh, the uh, the new film with um, Daniel Kaluuya that uh, has, has all the buzz to Judas and the oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. I need to get it in front of me. Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, mm. That that's uh, you know. So there's there's these films that are out there that still we still haven't seen here in Pensacola. Minari is another one which has had a huge buzz around it and uh, has not opened here in Pensacola. So. We can't get too much into those because I know that none of us have seen them. But uh, just looking over the, the the best picture nominees, and I'll, I'll start with the Globes. Um, and you got to remember about the Globes too that they divide everything up into musical or comedy and drama, so they end up with ten nominees that are genreed out, and two best picture awards. And 
not only that, but one of the films that they've nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy is not eligible for the Oscar, which is unfortunate because it's also one of the best films of the year, and that's Hamilton. Um, for some reason, they, they decided even before the whole uh, home release rather than theatrical release, yada, yada, that, that they were not going to allow that film to qualify for an Oscar because of what it is, which is a, a straight filming of a, of a Broadway show. I don't agree with that. I think it should have been allowed to be nominated, but so we can we can unfortunately toss that one out. We know that one's not going on to the Oscar show. Uh, but on, on mu- the other nominees for musical or comedy are Borat's subsequent movie film, music, Palm Springs, and The Prom. Uh, and uh, have you, have, uh, Jeremy? Have you seen any of those? I yeah, well, I saw Palm Springs, and I, I think it's really good. Uh, I'm not wild about the arbitrary. Uh, way that they break it down into different genres. I think it's very strange to see a movie like Palm Springs go head-to-head with something like Hamilton, which, as you just now said, it it doesn't uh, qualify. And I'm going to be honest, I 100% back that decision because of the reason that you just said, I can understand coming down on the other side of it. I think it's been a cultural phenomenon, but I don't see it in the same light that I do a film. And not to diminish it, they're just two separate things. So I'm all right with that. And I guess, you know, by default, I got to go with Palm Springs, which I did think was a a very enjoyable movie that I would have never seen in contention for the prestige awards. I mean, uh, you know, it it definitely does fall into the uh, comedy category, but sometimes they get even more like esoteric or whatever with the comedies that they choose so uh i feel like this is a very accessible movie um i would imagine it has a lot more mainstream uh appeal than several of the other ones on the list but of of the ones that you've mentioned and as i'm scrolling through this list i'm thinking i've been a bad i've been a bad movie watcher this year i haven't i haven't done near enough watching of movies i think it's very fascinating to see uh maria bakalova uh, for Borat going head to head with Anya Taylor Joy from Emma, what? How do those things even like? Well, it's, it's crazy. Very, to me, but. very broadly, they are both comedies. Emma is a comedy, even though it seems kind of like staid and serious because of the time period. It is a comedy. I just feel yeah, and you're a hundred percent right. But to me, that so much more fits the mold than this heavily improvised and incredibly silly performance of Maria Bakalova, which was very good, but just I, so fundamentally different to me. Oh, I think she was brilliant in the film, and I actually think the film itself was brilliant. I, I've seen I've seen three of the five nominees in musical or comedy. Now, the one thing I will give them is I think the Oscars too often overlook comedy and comedic performances, mm-hmm. so I do like that there's an award out there for it, uh, but I want to give Andy a chance to chime in on these two. Andy, have you seen, I know you've seen Hamilton, but other than that, have you seen any of these other films? Uh, unfortunately, no, and I think that's symptomatic of the year we've gone through. When I went in to look at the Golden Globes nominees, when I realized that was the topic today, and I looked at the lineup, I said, this is not a normal year where I will not mm-hmm. have seen. And Hamilton, of the ten nominees, is the only one I've seen. And as Julio just said, it's not eligible. And these look like fantastic films, and I've heard great things. I simply have not had the opportunity to watch them. Well, uh, I'll point out Palm, Palm Springs is on Hulu. Borat's subsequent movie film is on Amazon Prime. So, uh, And then The Prom, I know, is on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, but I know that was a, 
a Netflix film. So they, they are out there if you have those services to check those out. Moving on to the drama categories for the Golden Globes. Uh, Best Picture nominees are The Father, Mank, Nomadland, which we mentioned, uh, Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And we get over to the drama side, and the only one I've actually seen is Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, Andy, I know you mentioned you hadn't seen any of these. Jeremy, have you? I'm enthusiastic about one that you mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode, and that's Promising Young Woman. It feels like it speaks to my sensibilities. It seems a little little transgressive and, and something that uh, something that I very much enjoy. I think Carrie Mulligan's a, a great actress as well. Well, there's a, there is a lot of buzz about her, uh, her performance in particular uh, in that she is going to be in there fighting for uh, the Best Actress uh, Award against, uh, against Frances McDormand and also, I think, against Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Big mm-hmm. Bottom, which, uh, which I think is a great film. Now, there's been a big criticism of the Golden Globes this year and that the awards are the nominations are very heavily white, uh, which is the opposite of what you can say about the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, their their top award is the best cast in a motion picture, and their nominees are Da Five Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari, One Night in Miami, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So all of those uh, with diverse casts uh, and four of the five with majority minority casts. So that that's very interesting. Uh, and the other bit of trivia I want to throw in there about the, the SAG Awards this year is uh, the late Chadwick Boseman setting a record with four nominations for the SAG. Now, how that works is he's nominated for two films uh, for both uh, supporting actor for Five Bloods and for lead actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But with those cast awards, everybody in the cast is nominated, everybody in the main cast. So he also gets a nomination for each of those two films being nominated for Best Cast in a Motion Picture. Uh, now, uh, for me, the only one of these I have seen, I've, I've, I've seen Trial of the Chicago 7, I have seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, Andy, have you had a chance to look at any of these? Uh, no, I'm afraid I'm no uh, help to you here. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, anything you want to throw in here on that? I think the diversity thing is very important. Inclusion is huge, um, I, and it is valuable trivia. Um, I hope that we can stay focused always on just what's the best art, but I know that's a bit of a touchy subject for many people. I say, um, it, you know, let all sorts of voices be involved and engaged, but I don't see the big controversy against, uh, you know, giving Francis McDormand another award. I, I don't know. That's, that's just something I always kind of have conflict about. Okay, well, we are running up against another break. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about awards season as the, the season continues, but we'll be back in, with more in just a moment. You're listening to News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. I bet we've been together for a million years. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. Oh, it's like I started breathing on the night we kissed. And I can't remember what I ever did before What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? And there ain't no nothing we can't love each other through What would we do, baby, without us? Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. 
Uh, it's the part of the show you've all been waiting for. We're going to discuss the latest episode of WandaVision with Jeremy Branch and Andy Metzger. And I'll just yeah. throw it out there. There is no way we are not going to get into spoilers on this episode. Mm-hmm. So if you have not watched uh, the latest episode of WandaVision, which dropped on Friday, uh, do yourself a favor. Uh, you know, you can uh, you can hit pause if you're listening to this on uh, on uh, on the TuneIn app, or, or you know, otherwise you can go away and pick it up on the podcast uh, when it drops early in the week. Uh, but but don't don't spoil yourself for this because. Uh, this is a big, big episode with big, big implications, not just for WandaVision, but for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I am not overly hyping it when I say that. So uh, just be forewarned, the spoilers are going to come. And I want to get to the big thing last. So let's not get to the big thing first. Let's let's just dig in on this episode. Got uh, it. A- Andy, um, I'll, I'll let you start. Uh, what were your thoughts on this episode? And, and again, we're going we're gonna to save the big thing for last. Oh, one moment that stuck with me was when Wanda comes through the force field and confronts the sword team. And oh, yeah. It went from sitcom to Marvel movie right there. That was like a big Marvel movie and, moment. And completely takes charge of the situation and shows a power and an attitude that we haven't necessarily seen from her. And I'll, I'll make this as brief as I can. All the way through the MCU sequence of movies where we've seen Wanda Maximoff, you've always had a sense for what her real power is. It's like she was holding herself back. Like she never really revealed herself. And then you see it in that moment where she almost destroys Thanos, comes within seconds of destroying Thanos in Endgame before the ship starts firing. And now it's like they've taken it to an even higher level with the extent of this character's power. And she comes through that in an almost apocalyptic-looking moment where the force field flashes and then she goes back through. And that is one of the ultimate girl power moments I've ever seen in any movie or series. So that moment stuck with me. I thought it was an epic episode. What do you gentlemen think? Well, you know, for me, the I, I'm really digging on the creeptacular moments of this show. Uh, as much as anything else, I love the the Marvel stuff. I love seeing the the, the Marvel characters that that have been brought in from other other parts of the Marvel universe in this. So I, I'm really enjoying all the stuff with Captain Marvel and Darcy and Jimmy Woo, uh, and Captain Marvel. Uh, excuse me, with uh, Monica Rambeau from Captain right. Marvel. Uh, I, I'm really enjoying the sitcom part of it. I loved the whole '80s Family Ties vibe of the episode. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's the moments when things crack, and it it was the Agnes asking if she wanted Wanda to do the take again. And right. but but even more than that, it was Wanda and Vision arguing while the end credits were playing and just walking away from the end credits. Awesome. And it, it reminded me of in in a in a really interesting way because this is also something that is very disturbing, although it is uh, very much parodic and funny. Uh the adult swim short too many cooks. Mm-hmm. Like there, there, there's that like vibe of like we're making fun, but this is also really, really disturbing, and that just really got to me. How about you, Jeremy? Both excellent moments, both uh, standouts to me as well. You know, um, just to kind of touch on a little bit different of an angle, uh, I think the safe route as far as recapturing sitcoms would have been the 1980s thing. We've seen over the last couple of years how incredibly successful that is with us, uh, kind of late millennials as well as. Uh, 
as uh, excuse me, early millennials as well as the Gen Xers, it seems like you know really leaning into the '80s sitcom thing would be the the safer bet than going in the direction of the '50s and '60s. However, this was a very intercut episode, more so than the first three, in that we're bouncing back and forth between our reality and this fictional world that Wanda's created. So I thought that was a kind of cool thing because. Personally, I'm a huge mark for those uh, kind of 1980s nostalgia things. I, I can't help but love it, so it's something that I kind of always come back to. But the fact that they didn't use it as a crutch I thought was was pretty commendable. Um, to just kind of build on what Andy was saying as far as that particular scene, when Wanda makes all of those soldiers put their guns on the director of, of S.W.O.R.D. or whatever, I was like, what is happening? And then she just kind of walks away, and they all resume back to normal that was just epic and i'm here for that and i talk about disturbing um it's confirmed some of our theories you know we've been having an evolving conversation as episodes have gone on and we kind of figured out whether or not vision was just a manifestation of of wanda's psyche or whether that was actually vision's dead body being reanimated and then wow that's a pretty dark implication it's it's uh fascinating to see how fractured wanda's psyche has become and how she's just becoming super powerful as andy said as well and this kind of dark turn in the conflict between her and vision i think is is really interesting and i i think i didn't realize that there was going to be such an antagonistic relationship with them going forward i have a feeling that this is something that's going to continue to escalate and i really like that because it started off as such this idealist picturesque version of their relationship and now all of a sudden we're starting to see the conflict i also thought it was kind of cute and funny that when both of them elevate they kind of like cock their knee forward it's like a very comic booky uh illustration stance and uh completely unnatural but also just kind of like oh look it's it's comic book characters doing their kind of superhero poses so uh yeah, it's it's a it's an episode of just revelations, and I I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, I, and I do think Vision is alive and is his own independent person at this point. I think she resurrected him, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops and what it develops. Is he still a zombie Vision, like we saw that that flash of last week, mm. or what? Uh, I, I I think we have have spent our last episode fully in the the sitcom world that we're going to get i I suspect from here we're going to see the parallel stories with sword on the outside and the sitcom world on the inside i know there's a trailer out for the next episode uh that has some some very modern family looking flashes in it so we're going to get that far into the sitcom world to where we're we're something that recent that show's only been off the air for a year or two so uh so very interesting there but I don't want to give short shrift to the big moment, and that is at the end of the episode where Pietro is alive, but guess what? Pietro is not yeah. the Pietro from Avengers Age of Ultron. It's it's Evan Peters playing the version of Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men movies. And I this has huge, huge repercussions. And granted, we haven't seen anything yet other than him showing up. But but is this how we're going to get mutants in the in the Marvel universe? Is this going to fold the the Fox X Men movies into the continuity? What 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 is going on here, uh, Jeremy? I'll let you start on that. I can tell that Andy's chomping at the bit to get in on this as well, so I'm not going to take up too much of the time. But what like what what is going on? I, I have no idea what to think anymore. 
there has been many allusions to the fact that Wanda, I believe it was the House of M storyline, kind of created mutants. So potentially they're going in that direction with the series. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting. There was a part of my head that was looking at the twins and looking at their difference in hair and thinking, oh, my God, is that two different versions of Pietro? Like, one of them had the longer hair similar to the Evan Peters version from X-Men. One of them had the more similar hair. And they did a real clever psych-out at the end. When he shows up at the door, you know it's Pietro, but his hair is done exactly like Aaron Taylor Johnson's was from Age of Ultron. So it's a misdirect that I thought was incredibly effective, but there was something in my head that was priming me for that crossover. And I can't really, or, you know, for that revelation to happen, I, I felt like they were going to do something with Quicksilver, but I thought it was going to happen through the kids. So, yeah, I mean, this really does, they're, they're just, they're putting it all on the table. And I, I'm always a little apprehensive about like, uh, just because something's good doesn't mean you can eat 10 pounds of it and it still be good. Like it's going to make you sick eventually. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm so, uh, just curious of the way that they're able to meld the worlds of mutants and superheroes where mutants have historically been oppressed and used as an allegory for civil rights and mutants, uh, excuse me, superheroes in this reality, in this timeline are almost accepted as a normal way of life. So how do you establish the conflict where a character like Hulk clearly looks like he could be a mutant or a character like rogue does not look like she could be a mutant. So why persecute rogue, but not Hulk? I'm curious to see if they even go in that direction, but it was still really exciting to see it all happen. I want to throw out there before I let Andy jump in too. what a great illusion that in and of itself is to family ties. The, the tradition of the, the brother of one of the main characters being a big star on family ties Elise Keaton's brother who would show up every once in a while was Tom Hanks. So, nice. so that, I, that's just a real subtle illusion there too. But, uh, but Andy, take us home. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Jeremy pretty much expressed it. Seeing Evan Peters appear as Quicksilver at the end of the episode opens the door to the X-Men mythology. And it's going to be fascinating to see exactly how that is incorporated. I'd like to ask a question to both of you gentlemen about WandaVision. To what extent do you think there's another power, another presence, another entity that's also influencing this reality? Or how much of it is Wanda has these moments where she's taken aback and it doesn't seem like she's in complete control. That could be that she's self-delusional or there could be another presence. What do you think? Well, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to answer that quickly and then we got to run. Uh, but, but yes, I, I definitely think so. A lot of people think it's Mephisto, who is the Marvel Universe version of Satan. We, we'll have to see what it is in, in forthcoming episodes, but that's definitely something I look forward to as well as seeing the resolution of what's going on uh, with the X-Men and if this is how the X-Men are coming into the Marvel Universe. Guys, it's been great. I wish we had more time, but we do have to run. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with more. You're listening to News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.